Lord, let your Holy Spirit rain down in this place. Fill us up with your love. Show us what it means to be loved by you and how to share that love with others. Help us to receive it even when we don't feel worthy, even when we don't feel good enough. We know that you are worthy and you have taken the burden of our sin. And through that, we have freedom. We thank you for your love. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. We've been doing a series of conversations on the church. So today, we get to talk about why give. We're going to talk about our money. And as soon as he said that, they erupted into applause. They couldn't wait. You know, uh, we've been around here at Gateway for a while, probably almost 20 years. Well, 20 years, more than 20 years, 20 years. And in the early going, we were starting the church. And survey after survey after survey will say that people when they think about the church, especially if they're outside the church, what they think about is they just want your money. So for 15 years, we didn't talk about money here at Gateway. And we don't talk about money at Gateway because we need you to give, because God has been very, very generous. And there are a lot of generous people who are connected at Gateway and plugged in. So you need to know, if you're contemplating plugging into Gateway, you're plugging into a place that has a really generous spirit. We talk about giving at Gateway periodically, and we're going to this morning, and we're going to in two weeks. We talk about giving at Gateway because Jesus talked about giving all the time. In fact, he let his followers know and us know at one point how important it is. He said, this is really cool. Jesus said, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. So if you really want to know what your priorities are, if you really want to know what you value, if you really want to know what you're devoting your life to, look at how you spend your money. So for that reason, we're going to talk about finances today. And we're going to give today, we're going to talk about one of the reasons that we give to church. We're going to do more of that in two weeks. Today, we're just going to talk about one reason why we give to church. And it's not a reason that I don't think I'd ever thought about this before. This, to me, this week was mind-blowing. So you're going to hear what I think is just a profound, mind-blowing truth today. And it's going to come from a surprising place. We're going to read a paragraph in a minute from the book of Acts. And Luke wrote the book of Acts. And when he wrote the book of Acts, he wrote it to kind of survey what was going on with the early church and just give the movement of the the progression of the Jesus movement in those early decades. And there are three or four times in the book of Acts where it's like he's, he's taking us on this journey and he'll stop and ask us to look out and get a bird's eye view of what's going on with the church. And this is one of those paragraphs. And it's just chock full of amazing bone-shattering stuff, but interestingly, and you don't see it the first time you read through it, interestingly, it gives us one of the reasons, and a profound reason, why we give to church. It's crazy, so let's get started. We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 2, verses 41 through 47, and, and Acts, if you have a Bible, I'd love for you to follow along. It's toward the back, you know, it's like halfway through the New Testament. If you don't have a Bible, mygateway.life has the scripture, It will also be on the screen. And we're going to go old school. Let's stand out of reverence for God's word as I read Acts 2, 41 through 47. Those who accepted his message were baptized. And Peter had just finished speaking in a public place. About 3,000 were added to their number. That day, they, those people, those first followers, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. 
Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You may be seated. In a little while, we're going to collect an offering at the end of our service. Jonathan Hansen is going to come up. He's going to make some announcements. He's going to say, ushers, pass the offering. Offering baskets will be passed down your road. A lot of people at Gateway give online. And if you get connected to Gateway, I would encourage you to try to do that. You go to our website and look up under the Give tab. It'll walk you through some easy instructions on how to give online. But many of us also give when the basket is passed. You put a check in or you put some money in. Why? Why give to church? Why do we give? Why should we give to church? All right, today, as I said, we're going to look at the first part of the answer to that question. We'll add to that in a couple weeks. But today's answer is critical, and it might be the most important part of why we give. Throughout its history, the church has gathered financial resources in a variety of ways. It has at various times and places, you may not know this, but at various times and places, the church has been the recipient of government allocation. Meaning in some places and times throughout Europe, for instance, there have been official church taxes levied by the government. So even today in Germany, if you are an official member of one of the sects, a Protestant church or the Catholic church, Germany, the government will tax you, depending on where you live in Germany, 8 or 9% of your income, and that is then turned over to the church after administrative costs are taken out by the government. The church has gathered financial resources by charging for official religious rites and services. You may be familiar with this. These charges have covered things like weddings or baptisms or funerals. Sometimes last rites and even forgiveness of sins have been charged by the church. Of course, the church in various places and times has gathered financial resources through investments. In fact, at certain points in history, Vast investments have yielded vast resources for the church. And the church has gathered financial resources throughout its history through voluntary charitable giving from its people. Usually this is called tithes and offerings following the Old Testament language. In the United States of the 21st century, the overwhelming majority of church financial resources are gathered through the mechanism of charitable giving by the people involved with the church. And that's what happens here at Gateway. So when there's a need at Gateway or when there's something we want to do or when there is a ministry initiative, we don't call the home office. We collect tithes and offerings, and that goes toward the ministry that we believe God wants us to do here at Gateway. So it makes sense to say that the reason we should give to the church is so that the church can function. It needs our charitable giving in order to do church. But this is a completely wrong-headed way of looking at it. So if that's wrong, then why do we give to church? The paragraph we read from Acts a minute ago, it may be the most important paragraph in the entire New Testament. I realize that's big. But it may be the most important paragraph in the entire New Testament for our understanding of church, including why we give. So let's look at that passage overall, and then let's look at what it says in particular about giving to the church. So let's break it down a little bit. First, let me give you some context. Jesus has died, 
and he's risen again. It has blown the minds of his first followers, and they've gathered together with him for over a month, and he's met them, and he's taught them, this is what I did. This is what it means. This is what it means for you, and this is what's going to happen next. Every day, they're blown away, and then he goes away. He goes into heaven, and he says, now it's on you. And so, you know, kind of like, what do we do now? Jesus says, wait, and my spirit's going to fall on you, and it's going to be crazy. What does that mean? No answer. So they begin to meet together in Jerusalem. They're a little scared. They don't know exactly who they are. They're gathered together, and all of a sudden, they have this mind-blowing experience, and the Holy Spirit, they barely understand, falls on them, and it's crazy. It's profoundly emotional. It's uplifting. They want to take over the world. And it's such an incredible experience that they're literally out in the street dancing. There's a large crowd in Jerusalem. It's a festival holiday. And the people begin to laugh at them. They must be drunk. It's the middle of the day. And this is a great opportunity to tease Peter up. Peter stands up and preaches to all these people. And he lays out some of the stuff that they've just seen Jesus do and say. And the why and what it means. And the people's hearts are busted open and many of them come to Peter and say what do we do and that gets us to our passage Peter says to them well you need to repent you need to change completely the direction of your life you need to get baptized it's just a sign this is a brand new thing and you're in and they do so and then this verse 42 says they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and to fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer all right the Greek word proskatereo, which is on the screen at the top. That's the Greek version, proskatereo. It's an intense and emotional and important word. It's used in circumstances that suggest the most extreme kind of concentration. For example, Paul describes government authorities as proskatereoing, governing. In other words, it's what they do. The word means to occupy oneself diligently with, to to pay careful attention to, to be devoted to. So to what were the first Christians proskatereod? What received their intense occupation? What were they diligently occupied with? To what were they devoted? Four things. The apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, prayer. That means, first of all, that they met together regularly and reviewed the stories that the disciples told them about Jesus' teaching and his life. Then they reviewed things that Peter and James and the rest of the 12 had said about how they should live. This excited them. It renewed their faith. It encouraged them, and it gave them practical, helpful instruction. They devoted themselves to this. This is why we will be devoting ourselves to the New Testament for the next year. Okay, there's a little note here as an aside. Many of you come from a Catholic background. And Gateway is not a Catholic church. You may have noticed that already. My wife and kids probably gave that away. And this is one of the reasons. So I want you to know, first of all, how much I profoundly respect Catholic spirituality and Catholic teaching. Many of you know that three or four times a year, I go to a local monastery for several days or a week and just spend time there praying and reflecting on God. This has been a very influential spirituality in my life, but we're not a Catholic church, and this is part of the reason why. Every one of us has to decide what our authority structure is. In other words, what do you base your decisions on, or or what you believe in? Where does that come from? And you and I are suburban Americans, and most of you are very, very well educated. Even those of you who have come from foreign countries, you often came here because you were the 
kind of person who had been educated, highly educated in your country. In some cases, I apologize. We are so arrogant, we did not put you to work at the level to which you have been educated, but you wanted something better for your children. We are people who many of us have been very well educated. Most of you have a college degree. Many of you have advanced degrees. We have quite a few people here at Gateway who have doctoral degrees. This is not that big a church. We're a very educated church, and those kinds of people, people like us, we tend to have an authority structure, honestly, that's based on reason. What do I think? What are the pros? What are the cons? Yep, I believe this. There are more pros than there are cons. That is our authority structure. So you need to know this. If you are in the process of connecting with God because of what Jesus Christ has done, if you're beginning to involve yourself here at Gateway or in some other church, if you are wanting to go deeper, then that process is a process of surrender. That's a process of saying, I am no longer following my reason. I'm now following this, the apostles' teaching. I'm going to devote myself. I'm going to proskateo this. I'm going to focus here. Now, I started with the Catholic thing, and here's why. It's just an aside for you guys to know. Catholics typically, and well, not typically, in their theology and philosophy, what the Catholic Church has said over the centuries is uh, the authority structure for your life, for making decisions, what you're surrendering to is the tradition of the church and Scripture. And Protestants in places like Gateway have typically said, that's dangerous. What you're submitting yourself to, what you're surrendering to is Scripture. The first reformers came up with a phrase, a Latin phrase. The first guys that were breaking away from the Catholic Church, they came up with a phrase called sola scriptura. It means scripture only. We do not base any of our beliefs on the traditions of the church. Now, for those of you who are long-standing Protestants who are going, yeah, those stupid Catholics, you need to know that they make a really good argument for this, a really good argument, and you need to hear it. The Catholic argument for that is, wait a minute. It's the church that acknowledged the scripture. The church is what said, this is scripture. How can you say sola scriptura? That's naive. It is scripture and the traditions of the church. Also know, these first reformers that broke away from the Catholic church, that wasn't their intention. They didn't want to break away from the Catholic church. They weren't trying to start something new. They didn't envision a gateway community church with this building on tall cedars and gum springs road stuck out there not connected with the church universal. They didn't imagine that. It happened slowly, and it happened because the church pushed them away because what they said was, what these first reformers said to that was, no, wait a minute. It's about the life and teachings of Jesus and the words of the apostles. We're going to proscateo ourselves solely on the basis of the apostles' teaching, and they are self-referential. They didn't need the church to say this is the Scripture. They are self-referential. Here's what they mean. At first blush, you go, wait a minute. But here's what they mean. You don't need someone. If you drive out to Arizona, isn't it, and you see the Grand Canyon, you don't need someone to stand next to you in the Grand Canyon and go, that is a big hole. <laughs> you don't need someone to tell you that the Grand Canyon is majestic. 
When you drive there and you get out and look, first thing you do is go, what? And the first reformer said, you don't need someone to tell you that this is God's word. You don't need someone to tell you that this is the life of Jesus. And wow, we didn't need that. What we need is sola scriptura. So for that reason, Gateway is a Protestant church. We believe in sola scriptura. We've decided that this is the full and final source of authority for life and godliness. The second thing these first Christians devoted themselves to was fellowship, and the third thing was breaking of bread. Uh, the word fellowship here is the Greek word koinonia, and we've mentioned that word over the years here at Gateway because it's so critically important to us, because it's so critically important to us suburban Americans. The word koinonia means partnership, association, or it can mean community. Our interconnection. They devoted themselves to that. As I was doing some reading this week, I stumbled onto a practice that I've never really heard of before, but it's a Jewish practice called haburas. And these became very popular in the centuries on either side of Jesus. These haburas were small gatherings of Jews around a ritual meal, mostly for the purpose of study and fellowship. And many scholars believe that these haburas were the inspiration for the organizational structure of the first church in Jerusalem, this church we're looking at in Acts 2. They would meet in the temple court, and then they would find their fellow Habura mates, and they would go off to someone's home, and they would share a meal, and they would fellowship together, and they would share stories of Jesus. The striking thing is that they did this with such regularity that Luke could describe it as daily. By the way, this is a significant part of the inspiration behind our small groups here at Gateway. This is what we do. Fourthly, these first Christ followers proskatereo themselves to prayer. Now, this doesn't need explanation so much as it needs underlining, right? I mean, how many of us could say that we have devoted ourselves to prayer? Little wonder the church in America seems to be so impotent. Little wonder our lives often show so little evidence of God's power. Of course, much more could be said about each of these, the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking bread, prayer, and it would be fruitful for us to ask, what are we devoted to? as individuals and families and as a church? What do we pay careful attention to? We could spend very useful time reminding ourselves that if we devoted ourselves to these four things, that's a recipe for orthodox, faithful, and effective living. But the passage continues, and this is the good part. We want to get to this. Verse 43 says this, Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And that phrase, wonders and signs, it's not an accident that those words are used. Those are the same words that are used throughout the biographies to describe the acts of Jesus. If we continue reading, we would see throughout the rest of the book of Acts some of the things that were happening as a result of the teachings and the prayers of the apostles. It was amazing. Not to mention how rapidly the Jesus movement was growing. No doubt, this is why Jesus told them at one point in his ministry, you guys are going to do even greater things than I do. Then the rest of the passage, verses 44 through 47, reads like this. This is where it takes off like a rocket. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So why did these first Christians give to the church? They gave, first of all, because of their commitment to one another. They gave because they were committed to one another. 
I don't want to tell you a story. What I want the story to illustrate is just the organic nature of this thing that we're doing here. So years ago, before my wife Diane and I lived in Northern Virginia, we lived in Boston, and I pastored a church in the Boston area. And early in our ministry there, a couple of th three kids from a local college, it was a music school, it's called Berkeley Music School. Some of you heard Berkeley. They called me up, and I don't even remember how this conversation progressed, but during that conversation, they asked me if I would lead them in a Bible study, and I said, sure, and I went over and met with these three kids to lead them in a Bible study. It was awesome. These kids were fairly new Christians. They were on fire. So uh, this was robust Bible study, and we had a great time getting to know one another, and in this Bible study, you know, we finished, and they say, can you do it again next week? Sure. So I come back the next week. How about if we do this a regular thing? So this became a weekly thing, and it was my favorite part of the week. I would go do this Bible study with these kids. They were lit up, and they would light me up. So it was a lot of fun. They began to invite friends, and it was awesome as they began to invite friends. I can remember several times they did this, but one time in particular, they bring this kid named Steve, and he's got you know, he wants to be a rock star, so he's long hair, orange, multi-pierced, and he sits down, and they come in, and Mike is there. Mike, you know, Mike was one of the, my regular kids. Mike says, hey, uh, Ed, uh, this is Steve. We've been telling him about Jesus. We couldn't answer all his questions. We knew you could. Go. <laughs> so Steve and I began to talk about Jesus, and one after another, kids would begin to add, you know, these are a bunch of guys that want to be rock stars, so that also began to attract girls. So we had a whole crowd. So the year ends, we got a bunch of people that would meet regularly in this Bible study. So they go away for the summer, they come back after the summer, and we begin to meet again, and the crowd's even larger now, and it's kind of exciting. But you can tell that second year that there's something in the room that's kind of like an awkwardness, sort of. <clears throat> so about two or three weeks into the Bible study, you know, I kind of look up at one point and I say, what's up? And Mike is not the official leader, but he's the leader. And Mike says, I'm Ed. And it takes him a few minutes, but he gets around to it, he says, this group, by the way, also would come to our church, and it was awesome. It was a lot of energy. They were terrific. They would occasionally play with us, and it, they were great. It was a great addition. Anyway, Mike says, we don't want to go to church anymore. I say, why? We're not into organized religion. Okay, I have to tell you, first, I was a really young pastor, and I didn't know what to do. And anytime anything like that happened early in my ministry, I took it personally. And besides, if all these kids decide not to come to church, it cuts my church in half. And I felt desperate and panicked and defensive. And what do I do? And God was so good. God came to my heart at that moment, really, and calmed me down. And I think we had a God moment in that circle. So I said, okay. And you could hear like a collective sigh. We didn't know how Ed was going to, really? Yeah, sure. Can we just do this? Awesome, let's just do this. Because we're not into organized religion. All right, let's just do this. Great, this is so cool, Ed, thanks. Wait a minute, yeah, what? So I began to lead them down this rabbit trail. Do you want to ask any other people this year? Yeah, we got a bunch of friends we want to ask this year. We're not going to be able to fit in this room. I know in my apartment, there's a conference room. We can rent that conference room. Awesome, everybody. Yeah, awesome. Wait, wait, wait. Rent it. Well, how are we going to pay for it? We could just start putting some money together. Awesome. Who's going to take that money? And we're going to need a bank account. I'll do it. Can we trust you? Somebody else better look over him, make sure he's going to be okay. Yeah, okay. How about any of you guys want to have kids? Yeah. 
Big time. What are we going to do when we have kids? We'll need another room, and somebody's going to have to teach them. I'll teach them. You don't have any idea what you're talking about. Somebody's got to, <laughs> somebody's got to help you before you can help them. Okay, well, I'll do that. All right, do, you do that. We do this for about 15 minutes. We're all excited. And I say, you guys, guess, guys, guess what? Guess what we got? What? A church. Church is not an institution. Church is not a building. Church is a network of relationships, of people who are trying to connect to God. It is us connecting to one another and to God. It is us giving more and more control of our lives to Jesus, individually and corporately, as we learn to love him and one another more and more effectively. We organize things because if a group of people are going to do anything together, work together, serve together, meet together, it requires organization. And besides, if you don't like organized religion, you're in the right place. This is completely disorganized religion. Do you want your children and the children of others to grow in their understanding of a moral life? Do you want their character to grow deeper and stronger? Do you want them to have a spiritual perspective on life? Do you want them to be the kind of people who grow up to be like Jesus? Then we need to give in order to create an environment where that can be facilitated. Do you want your children and the children of others to build connections with kids and, and adults who have positive impacts on their lives? Do you want your children and the children of others to be able to witness people caring for one another and caring for those who are less fortunate? Then we need to give in order to facilitate an environment where that can happen. Do you want to care for others less fortunate? That's what they gave toward. Then we need to give. Do you see any value in gathering together to honor Christ together, to hear stories about his life? Then we need to give in order to create an environment where that's possible. Interestingly, there are people who've read this passage and suggested that what's being talked about here is communism. There are some who've said that this is an early manifesto for political communism. But honestly, that's not the case. First of all, this radical sharing, this is completely voluntary. In fact, three chapters after this, we read an account of a couple that sold property, evidently to put it in the common till. So even after this event, there were some who still owned property. And again, there's no reason to believe this was mandatory, and it may not have even been universal. This is just heartfelt commitment to one another. This is not communism. This is a group of people deeply committed to one another. They gave their, to their common cause because of their common commitment to one another. And they broke bread in their homes, according to verse 46, and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. And that word sincere can also be translated generous. And they praised God and enjoyed the favor of all the people. And listen to the result. The Lord added daily to their number those who were being saved. That word saved, by the way, that's just them ransacking the language to come up with some word to describe how epic and awesome the transformation in their life is. It's as if, wow, it's as if I feel rescued. I've been saved. And the people who increasingly began to feel like that, they connected. I want to encourage you without apology to give and to give generously. You are wealthier than 99% of the people that have lived on the planet. God has been wildly generous to us. Let's allow him to express his wild generosity through us. So for those of you who have been coming to Gateway for years and have been faithfully and generously giving, I want to say thank you. I can't say it enough. I'm blown away and honored. And I want you to know you're leaving a legacy 
I want to give you the words of the Apostle Paul. Don't grow weary in doing good. This will be a very, very challenging year for us at Gateway, and we need to keep giving. For those of you who have been coming to Gateway for a while and you've not really been able to give, I encourage you this year, step in. Give, give big. Give because of your commitment to others. Give. But before that, seek God. Remember the context here? This environment, what happened here was based on having had their lives radically touched and changed by God. And then they began to devote themselves to that, to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking bread, and to prayer. Seek God. This is going to be the year to do it because we're going to go deeper and wider. Finally, for those of you who are newer to Gateway, I want to encourage you without apology to step in and to give. If Jesus wants you here, in other words, if you are here because he is drawing you here, then you are not here by accident. And you are not here to be an observer. You are not here to be an observer. He said it again at the risk of being obnoxious. You are not here to be an observer. You are not here taking a casual stroll. This is vigorous exercise. This is all in. This is connecting deeply with your God and growing in that connection. This is connecting deeply with others and growing in that connection. And this is allowing the impact of your life to spread wide. That's what church is. And that's the first reason we give. Let's pray. Lord, there are many of us in this room who are all in with you. And we say this morning, if no one else is, we are. And we are delighted to give and to give big. Others of us, Lord, are exploring. And I pray that you would be found as they seek that you would open up as they knock, that you would make yourself known, that you would make yourself known, Jesus, for all of us, Lord God. I pray that you would enlarge our capacity, enlarge the generosity muscle of our heart. I pray that you would expand our horizons and help us, Lord, to give beyond what we can right now imagine that you would create that capacity in us. Call us out because you have been so, so generous to us. In the strong name of Christ our Lord we pray. Amen. Thank you very much. Have a wonderful day. Go in peace.